Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Hi, it's me again. Uh, let's let's open in prayer this this morning. Jesus, we come to you, and we we want to encounter you this morning. We want to hear your voice and receive from you and just not be the same as we came, Lord. Would you, would you change us? Would you mold us into who you've called us to be and, and you know, the one step at a time? Um, I just pray that as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, that you would just be pulling parts out for us and, and just speaking to each one of us um, the words that you would have uh, for, for us this morning. It wouldn't, they wouldn't be my words, um, but they would be yours. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in case you didn't pick up from the video, we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. Uh, and so for a little bit of context around that, um, we're going to be talking about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And so this is pretty early on in G- Jesus' ministry as we see John chapter 4, not John chapter like 15. Um, his ministry, in a, in a second we'll see, it, it's beginning to kind of pick up some steam. Um, he's beginning to kind of, there, his name is gonna, beginning to be known, uh, in, especially in Judea, as he was doing a few things there. Um, and it was beginning to just become more than what John the Baptist's ministry had been. Um, and so Jesus just had a conversation in chapter 3 with one of the leading Pharisees named Nicodemus, um, which has some parallels and similarities to his conversation with the woman at the well. Um, and so we'll be looking at a, f- a few of those this morning. Um, but that conversation with Nicodemus had revealed Jesus' mission, revealed why he was here in John 3.16. He came to save us. And then right after that, he meets up with John the Baptist in, in the wilderness where there's some water, um, and they're baptizing people, and they're, John says some pretty nice things about him, and so then that brings us to chapter 4. Um, so we're going to start in, in verse 1 this morning. So it says, uh, Now when Jesus learned that there were ph- the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although John, Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his own son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and just... So you know the six hours about noon. So I'm sure you've heard before uh, that 
the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Um, they, they did not like each other in any way. Uh, and some, the bit of a reason behind that is that when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians, um, some, they decided to leave some of the people behind. So some of the poorer people, some of the people that didn't have status or wealth or that kind of thing, they left them behind in the northern kingdom uh, and brought other people in to populate that area. Um, so during that time, the people of the northern kingdom began to intermarry with the people around them that the, the Assyrians had brought in. And because of that, the, these people worshipped other gods than, than the Jewish god. They, they ended up with this kind of piecemeal faith. It was a bit of this, a bit of that, just kind of lumped in together. Um, so they believed that only the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, was the word of God. They, they dismissed all of the other writings. Um, and so that was a significant portion of what belonged to the Jewish faith. If you look at your Bible, it's a big chunk of the Old Testament that they're just completely ignoring. Um, so conversely, when the people of Judah, so the southern kingdom, were taken into captivity in Babylon, they were very sure to make sure to only marry other Jews. They, they, were, they did this, but when they came back, they had found some people had not followed that, and so they dismissed them. And so they, they were about the, the pure Jewish bloodline. Um, and so this was part of the reason why the, the Jews did not like the Samaritans, because they didn't view them as a pure bloodline, because they had mixed with the people around them. Um, so the Jewish people, because of this, did not even associate with the Samaritans. They didn't, they wouldn't acknowledge them, they wouldn't, basically wouldn't see them. Um, and so this journey that Jesus was taking, normally a Jewish person would go across the Jordan to the east side of the Jordan River, go up north, and then cross back over in order to get to Galilee, which would effectively double the length of the trip. So six days instead of the route, that, the route that Jesus took was only three. And Jesus didn't care much for the conventions of the day. Um, it, it tells us, it's one interesting thing to me that, that points out as we read that it said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Not that he chose to, that he, he, he just did, but he had to. This was a conscious decision that Jesus made. He knew that there was a meeting that he needed to have with this woman at the well. So he had to go through Samaria. And most of the Jews of his day would have done the exact opposite. They would have gone around. So Jesus, very much as we continue to go through, he had a reason and a purpose for being in Samaria at this particular place. We continue on in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, yes. Nope. 
we're going to stop there. Um, I love John's little interjections that he, he, all the bracketed things are not part of the conversation. John's like, hey, just so you know, it's this and this and this. If you read the book of John, he does it all the time. Uh, but it's helpful for us reading it 2,000 years later to get a bit of an understanding of what was, what was happening, why this was a, an interesting and weird conversation that Jesus was happening. So here we have a tired Jesus. He's been walking for some time, asking a woman for a drink. Um, this was likely a surprise to the woman in a few ways um, because of the conventions of the day. First, it was about noon. So normally, uh, the women would not would go to the, the well in the early morning before it got really hot because pulling water from the well is a lot of work. The well was deep. Um, reports are like 100 feet deep, so that's a lot of ways to haul up water. And so it's a lot of work, and so women would normally do that when it was cooler in the day so that they wouldn't have to work up a sweat. Um, but we'll get an idea in a minute as to why she was there at that time. But the fact that he was even there was probably a shock to her. Because secondly, he was Jewish. And he was in Samaria. Jews didn't normally do that. And then the last thing is that Jesus was clearly a rabbi. So in those days... Weird as it was, rabbis would not speak to women in public, not even their wives. It's just the way it was, not saying it's right. It's weird. <laughs> but Jesus didn't bother too much with cultural norms. So Jesus then responds to her question. So she asked, why are you asking me for a drink? So Jesus answered her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Uh, so reading this now, understanding the whole story as well as taking a look at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in chapter 3, and then adding on all of the Gospels that we can read and understand now, we, can, we know Jesus' teaching style. This woman did not. We can grasp here that Jesus is talking about spiritual realities and not literal water. But this woman is very much taking this as a literal water situation. Similar to how Nicodemus doesn't understand that you have to be born again. He's taking a spiritual thing and making it literal and just obviously if you take a spiritual thing and make it literal sometimes it doesn't make sense. So Jesus also used a little bit of a wordplay with the phrase living water. Um, the people of the area would have used the phrase living water to, re to refer to a spring of water where you get water from. Whereas Jacob's well was more of a the rising up from the ground. So there wasn't a spring that fed Jacob's well, anything like that. It was They dug deep enough that they found water and the water was there. So he's contrasting two different realities 
in this situation, um, which, again, goes over her head a little bit. The Jews also had another way of using the word water. And this was in reference to the way that a soul, your soul thirsts after God, who is that thirst-quenching living water. So Jesus isn't trying to, you know, kind of beat around the bush. He isn't trying to talk about something without really talking about it. Like, you know how when parents talk to each other about something, kind of skirting around the thing, and you're not, you're not actually saying ice cream, but meaning ice cream. Um, he's not doing that. He, he is, as far as he's concerned, being fairly direct about this conversation. But the woman isn't getting it. I think that partly has to do with something that we talked about earlier, that the Samaritans only took the Torah as the word of God. They didn't take the other, I don't know what percentage it is, the other significant portion of the Old Testament, which is where the Jews developed that analogy of God as our thirst for God and the water and and that kind of thing. Um, There's many references in the prophets and all of and the psalms and all of that kind of stuff that have to do with God as water that is thirst quenching for us and our souls are thirsting after Him. Um, so she wouldn't have particularly understood that. So Jesus, being Jesus, gets a little more direct, but he still he likes his parables, he likes his things, and so he's not staying straight up quite yet. But he says in verse 13, he says to her, Everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I do not have to be thirsty or come here to draw water. Uh, So I found a quote as I was researching and and, um, developing the, the, what I was going to say this morning that I thought was, was pretty apt. It says, Christ shows that the water of Jacob's well yielded a very short satisfaction. Of whatever waters of comfort we drink, we shall thirst again. But whoever partakes of the spirit of grace and the comforts of the gospel shall never want for that which abundantly satisfies his soul. Jesus is showing the woman the spiritual reality of eternal life that he is willing to offer. That he is, he is trying to show her that he is the source. And as we'll see in the next couple of verses, it is actually um, terribly embarrassing for her to be coming to the well to draw water as it is. Um, so the prospect of not actually having to draw water, like the physical literal drawing water is very enticing for her and I think that's the other part of why she just doesn't get it because the 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 thought of not actually having to draw water from a well is like yeah that's great because I don't have to come back here and don't have to do part of this thing that I've been doing to try and cover up the things that I've done um, so Jesus finally he's let's let's go a little more direct here let's Let's get to the the root of the thing. So verse 16, he says, And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, 
I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you're saying is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. I'm going to pause there again. Um, now we get it. Now we understand why she hasn't been understanding. The prospect of not coming out to the well and suffering embarrassment of her past and her situation now comes to light. It says... Veggie Tales might put it, she was shocked and slightly embarrassed. So she tried to change the subject. <laughs> there are two revelations when someone encounters Jesus. The revelation of who God is and the revelation of who we are. I found another quote that I thought was apt, so I'm going to read another quote. It says that no man ever really sees himself until he sees himself in the presence of Christ. And then he is appalled at the sight. There's no other way of putting it. Christianity begins with a sense of sin. It begins with the sudden realization that life as we are living it will not do. We awake to ourselves and we awake to our need of God. So she has come face to face with Jesus and realized that she needs to get right. That she has some things in her life which are not the way that she sh they should be, and she knows it. Jesus never condemned her. He never called her out. But he helped her to see the reality of her situation. Sometimes in our own lives, and certainly in hers, we must come to the realization of where we are at on our own. Somebody pointing out our faults is not often all that helpful. But when we realize our faults through Jesus or conversations with other people in different ways, there, something different happens in our brain. It, something clicks, and we need to fix it. I never really understood her transition here from, we're talking about her, her many husbands, and then suddenly she's like, now, where do we worship? It's a bit of a weird transition. Um, I mean, she was embarrassed and wanted to change the subject, sure. But I think there's something here that I didn't think about. But it's that when she was faced with her sudden realization of her sin, her natural response in those days in order to make it right would have been to go make a sacrifice. Would have been to go and sacrifice an animal in order to cover his, her sin. That's how they did it then. That was how she got, would have gotten right with God in her mind. So the people of the day, the cure for sin was sacrifice. That, that's both, so it's in the Torah, of, of the, the laws, all of that kind of stuff that they would have held to. And so her question, rather than being the place of sacrifice, was rather about where she could find God. Her question, though it was kind of veiled in a centuries-old argument and a bit of a jab that Jesus didn't take the bait on, uh, instead, he sees behind 
and he sees the true meaning of her question and begins to make some pretty incredible revelations to her. In verse 21, Jesus says in response, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship, in, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus makes two massive revelations to this woman. First, in wonderful parallel to their conversation about the water, that worship is no longer linked to a physical location, but rather a spiritual reality. This changed the landscape of everything spiritual as they knew it. Worship had always been linked to a physical location since the establishment of the temple and then the split and the establishment of a place to worship in the northern kingdom. So God is spirit. God is not confined to places. And no longer is God limited to a certain location. Whether it's Jerusalem or otherwise, God is not limited. And if God is spirit, a man's gifts to God must be gifts of the spirit. Animal sacrifices and man-made gifts become inadequate. The only gifts that benefit the nature of God are the gifts of the spirit. To love, loyalty, obedience, devotion. This shows us that genuine worship does not consist of coming to a certain place or going through a certain ritual or liturgy or bringing certain gifts. True worship is when the Spirit speaks to and meets with God himself, God who is immortal and invisible. The second revelation that he makes is that he is, in fact, the Messiah. The one who will bring this spiritual reality into existence. Jesus, after revealing the inadequacy of her life, also reveals her need of a savior. But then he also reveals that he's the one that can satisfy that. He alone is the living water that quenches all thirst. And when Jesus revealed this to the woman, who was an outcast, a sinner, one who went to the well at a different time so she wouldn't have to be confronted by her sin, one who very much didn't think highly of herself even. So Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all fallen short of what God has intended for us. And I'm not sure about you and in the light of the choices that you've made, how you view yourself. I mean, I can fall into beating myself up for the choices I make and, you know, it becomes this vicious cycle. But perhaps you think that the things 
because of the things that you've done, because of the choices that you've made, the sins you've committed, that Jesus could or would not reveal himself to you. This story proves otherwise. If Jesus can reveal himself to a woman who had very clearly made some bad choices, he can reveal himself to you and to me. And if we believe the lie that Jesus can't use us, the story proves that wrong too. Because if we jump ahead to verse 39, we can see the reality of that, which I don't think I put in there. But It says that many Samaritans from the town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, is what she said. Her testimony got people to believe in Jesus. The woman who was broken, who was hiding in shame, was now revealing the Savior to to the people around her. So Jesus addressed her sin. He changed her spiritual reality. And this morning, he can do that for us too. So whether you've been a Christian for a long time and made some bad choices, or there's some things in your life that you just need dealing with. Whether you've known, or if you've never known Jesus, allow him this morning to reveal himself to you in this moment and let him change your reality. If my heart could tell a story. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family, we go. Let this be their memory That all my treasure was in heaven And you were everything to me His faithful hand has held me all this way And when I'm old and gray And all my days are numbered on the earth Let it be known In you alone My joy was found 
joy was found. 